Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope that this message encourages you. I hope that it inspires you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. Now, I want to remind you that we are in the middle of our year in the story, which is really this deep dive into God's great story and our place in it. If you'd like more information about that or more information about our community here at Restore, you can get that on our website at restoreaustin.org. We'd really love to see you soon. Thanks for listening. Nice. Good morning. Oh, the second one was weaker. That's weird. Thank you. Nice. Uh, I am not Zach Lambert, if you were surprised. I have more up here and more right here, uh, less right here. So uh, I am uh, Terry Ishi. Uh, I have been a friend of Restore Austin for many years. Uh, I serve, I give leadership to a local organization that works with church plants. And we have the great honor and privilege of working with Restore and helping of beginning help you guys get off and we're really really excited about moon tower and so yeah give it up for moon tower that's super exciting uh i can't wait for uh to see that thing get launched uh at our campus here uh, here in austin uh today uh i'm here to share uh when zach was like hey uh you want to preach on this day and i'm like Sure, and then I like look at my calendar and it's Father's Day, and I'm like, ah, oh, Zach, you got me. And so I was like, yeah, okay, I'll. And so I was like, I had this sweet like 21 point Father's Day sermon all ready to go. It's like, man, I'll hit him with Father's Day all the way, and he's like, no, 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 don't do that. That no, no one wants to hear that, and I recognize no one wants to hear that. Uh, but I do get to follow, kind of continue uh, painting the canvas that Zach started last week. Uh, last week he began kind of this conversation uh, around the disciples uh, kind of stuck in the upper room and the emotions that they were feeling um, as Jesus has just been crucified. And I can't imagine the feelings and thoughts that were racing through their head. And so I get to kind of, kind of add on uh, add a layer of paint to this canvas, and I know Zach will be back next week to kind of finish this portrait uh, of these disciples. And so let's, uh, let's take a moment. Can we pray uh, for our time uh, as I, before I dig into this? Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your life. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your acceptance. All who come to the table are welcome. And Lord, we thank you so much for that. Lord, I pray in this moment your spirit would fill this room. That the words that are spoken would not be my words, but your words. Lord, I pray for a moment this morning we're able to empathize. To get a sense of understanding of what these disciples might have felt. And Lord, I, 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 I assume that there's similar feelings. There's similar thoughts that we've wrestled with. And so Lord, I pray this morning there would be a fresh deliverance. Lord, we pray for your peace. 
that would come and fill this place, that would fill our souls, that would fill our lives, that would fill our homes. We thank you. We thank you for your life, your body, your death, and we thank you for your resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. So let's paint a picture. Let's kind of continue this idea. So we see the disciples. There's about 10 of them uh, in an upper room. And typically in the upper room is where it's where the, the, the spiritual workout of life often happened. It's where discipleship, it's where conversation, it's where ideas were often exchanged and discussed. It's where the most intimate of meals were served. And so we have a picture of these disciples stuck in this room, and they're freaked out. They have no idea what has just happened. They had every assumption that Jesus was the king, and he was going to assert himself as the, as the ruler of that kingdom. And when Jesus dies on a cross, willingly, it flips their world upside down. They have no idea what's going on. So let's take a moment this morning and imagine that scenario. Imagine being one of those disciples stuck in that room. What feelings might have you felt? They were probably afraid out of their mind. They probably had a sense of loneliness and a sense of aimlessness. I try to put myself in that picture, and it freaks me out. I can't imagine the fear that they were struggling with and how lonely they felt. This morning, I would imagine, you can probably think of a moment in your life where maybe you were in a, in a room and you still felt lonely. Some of you this morning, you may be sitting here in this room with a hundred or so people, and you might still have that feeling of loneliness. But we serve a good, good God. And Jesus doesn't just kind of leave them out on the hook. He doesn't kind of just leave them hanging. The resurrected Jesus shows up. A resurrected Jesus is a game changer. He flips everything on its head. And so Jesus shows up and he tells them, don't be afraid. Peace. And this morning we're going we're gonna to gonna dig into that as well. Let's look at the scriptures for this morning. John 20, 21, uh, Jesus has already addressed the disciples. Um, he came to them and we was chatting with them, and in and, and, and the fear, he said, do not be afraid, but peace be with you. And after this, he showed himself, he showed his hands and his sides, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And then we jump right here. It says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive, they are not forgiven. 
I'm struck at this scripture. Afraid, alone, clueless on what my next step was, completely aimless, Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. And then he gives them this sort of commissioning. And I want to dive into that. And I think one of the reasons that Jesus gives this is that Jesus could sense how lonely they felt. And, and, and as you look at the scripture and you really look at the whole story, it's not just simply loneliness, it's aimlessness. Imagine being alone, but also in your aloneness, like not knowing what your next step was, right? Can anyone relate to that idea? Like if it is Father's Day, if you've ever been like Christmas Eve night and you're like trying to assemble a toy for your child so that they can wake up the next morning and have like the greatest Christmas experience, and then you just, you're completely clueless on how to put this thing together. Like, you know what that feels like. It is, in, it, it's a horrible, horrible place. And so I want to share briefly a, a bit of my story. And really kind of share some of my story of where I felt most alone. Where I felt most aimless in my life. And it's an old story, it's a long story, but I will only give you a, I will spare you guys the, the, the big details and, and just kind of give you the cliff notes. Uh, it started 40 years ago. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it did start 40 years ago. Um, my uh, father was a Vietnam vet. Uh, he had just been back from Vietnam. And he had met my mother, who was a prostitute. And uh, they did what people do. And I was conceived. Uh, my mother and father were both drug addicts. And uh, in some weird clarity, my father had this idea uh, to kidnap my mother and take her to Seattle. I was conceived in Houston, Texas. Uh, it was my, where I grew up. Uh, but my dad was like, he had a buddy in Seattle. He's like, you know what, let's, let's, let's just get out of here. So my, mom, my dad basically takes my mother, takes her to Seattle, to, to, they were going to get clean, and they got clean, and I was born. So conceived in Houston, born in Seattle. And then my dad felt that they had wrestled their demons and came home. And what they thought they had gotten rid of on their own power, they, they really just kind of hid for a season. And so drug addiction kind of kicked up again, and my brother was born, who's a year younger than me, and and my whole young childhood, I felt very alone. It was one of those things where my mother and father, um, they, they, they were so abusive to one another that it, 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 it was so detrimental to my life and my brother's life. And then fast forward a bunch of stuff, and we, again, I don't have time to get into it, but um, when I was 12 years old, we'd gotten into some trouble. And we're basically given an ultimatum. You can go to juvie or you can go live in a boy's home. And uh, we chose to go live in a boy's home. And so from the time of 12 to 18, I lived in a boy's home. And in that boy's home, uh, I felt the, the, the loneliness and aimlessness of my life was just overwhelming. Every day I would wake up and I had so much anger and frustration that I, I just I didn't know how to live. I didn't know where to do, what to do, how to live, or where to go. And I remember a friend of mine, uh, who was, uh, he's now a friend of mine, but was a house parent at the time, 
uh, he was a giant of a dude. He was like six foot seven, like 400 pounds, uh, played football, uh, did rugby, did all of like those really, when I looked at him, I was like, you're a man, right? Just this giant, you know, he would literally like just grab me by my head and like guide me around. And I wasn't a small kid. I was pretty big, but he could, he was just everything that represented the, the kind of stereotypical, oh, that's a guy's guy. And when I was a kid, that's what I, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for, I was looking for a, a guy that I could maybe mimic or someone that I could follow. And then one of the things he would do from time to time as my house parent, it would really kind of weird me out because he was a big dude and he would sit there and then he would just like begin to cry. And I'm like, that's weird. Why are you crying? You're like, you're too big to cry, right? Like you are a giant of a human being. Why are you crying? And I would like look around and like, did like, you know, there's not even a good reason to cry. Like, there's nothing sad here. Why are you crying? And, and he would explain to us, he would say, oh, I'm just overwhelmed with joy. And for a 15-year-old boy who grew up in a nightmare of a situation, I was involved in gangs at a young age, very violent, all of those things, to cry because you were joyful Oh my gosh, that's so bizarre. I was like, dude, what are you smoking? Like, that is nuts. Like, really? Like, you're, you're just, you're crying because you're happy. And he was like, yeah. And I'm like, well, dude, well, tell him you got, what, what the heck? Why, what is it that makes you so happy you cry? And he would say, well, I'm not alone. I was like, no, of course not. There's like eight of us teenage boys living in this house. You're not, you're never alone. Like, we've, we're always around you. We're like the most neediest, pathetic people. Yes, you are not alone. Why would that make you happy? And he goes, no, no, no. When I'm by myself, I'm not alone. And I was like, man, I, this is so, I don't even know what you're, you're trying to say. And he would go on for about a year and a half, try to explain this idea of the presence of God. And how when, when he was in his moments of fear or frustration, he felt comfort. He felt joy because he wasn't alone. He was experiencing the peace of God that came in God's presence. And I was like, well, man, that's kind of cool, I guess. I don't, I, don't, I don't get it, you know, but okay, good for you. And then for another year or so, you know, I was still fighting and getting in trouble and just, you know, shenanigans, you know, what kids do. And um, I remember one day uh, we were at a camp. They took, they would take the, the boys, you know, we were, we had the wiggles. And so they would say, we need to get rid of these kids because they're going to destroy things. So they would take us out to the woods and it's like, okay, destroy anything you want out here. And so we were camping once and uh, every night we'd have like a little powwow and kind of conversation, and and uh, I remember uh, sitting on the stoop of the cabin that we were at, and I remember uh, just this this sense of anger, like venomous anger, and it was like, and and all I, I, all the boys' home counselors and all that they were like. You know, they were like, here are the tipping points for Terry. Like, when he, Terry does this, it's like a tea kettle. It starts to whistle. He's about to explode. So you got to, 
And, no, and I, so I came with a card that everyone knows. It's like, this is how you deal with me. I was one of those kids growing up. And uh, I remember sitting on that stoop, and the anger and that venom just began to boil up. And my house parent looked at me, and Howard said, Terry, do you want to get rid of that? Do you want to experience life without anger? Do you, want, do, you, do you want a solution for that? Because all you're going to do is keep getting angry, keep doing stupid things, and then getting angry and doing stupid things. And that was my track record. And for, I'd lived in the boys' home for a handful of years at that point. I was already, like, one of, one of the conditions of me being at this boys' home is that when I got home, uh, they sent us to a public school. So thank God, thank God for that, because that would have been really weird if we had to go to a private boys' home school. You know, like, no girls, which is just a nightmare. But they sent us to a public school, and then we would come home, and we had our own boys' country bus, and so we would come home. And, and, and when I got home, I wasn't allowed to go inside of my house. That was, that was like, that's the kid that I was. Like, the bus would come, and they would say, all right, Terry, put your book bag at the door. And then I, I, every day, I had to exert two hours of, uh, of physical exertion every day. That was like, for me to get in the house, they were like, all right, you, you got two hours, just go do something. And so I like had to go play basketball, or we, the boys' home was on a ranch, and so sometimes it's like, if I got in trouble, it's like, go clean a chicken coop that had, like, I don't know, I'm, I grew up in inner city Houston, and like, what's a chicken coop? And I was like, maybe there's like three chickens, and you know, pick some eggs, and, and no, this was like 500 chickens, and just... <laughs> bird stuff everywhere and it's like really like I'll you know but that was like my thing I had I had to go I had to come to the door exhausted because I had so much anger and I was I was getting tired of it and sitting on that step Howard said do you want to get rid of that do you want a solution for that and I was just I was at my my lowest loneliest moment and I said absolutely yes more than anything. And he says that you need to be introduced to Jesus. You need to know the peace that comes from following Jesus. And in my loneliest moment, rather than turning to myself, rather than turning to every, everything that I knew, every desire, every prompting that I had in myself, putting all of that aside, I took the advice of this giant of a man who would cry for no good reason, in my opinion, and said, okay, who is Jesus? And I had my moment with the risen Savior. And in that moment, I felt a relief. I felt a sense of release that it's not about my junk. I don't have to carry that any longer. And as I look at this scripture this morning, it reminds me of the peace that I've experienced in my life. In my experience, peace comes in stages. And this morning, you may be desperate for peace. Or maybe this morning, you're like, man, whatever, peace is good, but I'm good. Maybe it's like something you're not even, it's not even on your radar but I promise you it'll change your life. 
In my experience, I've, like I said, I've experienced it in stages. The first stage that I've experienced peace often simply comes in the presence of God. Like in my faith, I knew I was no longer alone. As, as, as God's spirit kind of dwells in me and on me, I feel the presence of God and I know that I'm not alone and that peace rests there. Peace also comes in the idea of community. And that's what Restore Austin is. You guys are a community. You're a family. Hopefully you are not alone. I love what Zach said last week, that uh, anytime you receive a hug from someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, you're receiving a hug from Jesus. Man, what a beautiful, beautiful concept. What a beautiful idea. And that's what community is. For community, we get to experience God's peace. So in the church, I can feel I'm no longer alone. And lastly, it comes in this idea of mission. That when I take my aimlessness and I actually live into my purpose of why I was created, I feel like I'm no longer alone. That God comes alongside me, that I get to now participate and what God is doing. When we look at the scriptures, in verse 21, it says, and again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Please know God wants you to experience peace. I love what Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God, which transcends all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love what Eugene Peterson, his, his, uh, his idea of that verse, he says, before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. In my loneliest, aimless moments, I needed a savior who would come to me and tell me, Settle down. Everything's coming together for good. That's what we need. That's what God's peace brings us. And it transcends any understanding. We don't get it. I don't understand it. I've had moments where I thought I should just be flipping out. And I'm as calm and collected. And the only reason I can give is because Jesus' spirit just guides me and comforts me and ministers to me. I know here at Restore, you guys have a prayer ministry. I think when you, are, when you have the privilege to pray for someone, to minister to someone in prayer, man, that is, that you're delivering, you are giving God's grace to others. And when you get to receive that, when you get to receive the gift of prayer, what a beautiful blessing that is. This morning before I hopped on uh, a stage, I was, I was blessed and ministered this morning with prayer. That my soul might be settled down. Because God is big and God is good. And he's got everything under control. He continues in scripture, he says... Uh, and again, and again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
we need to be reminded that Jesus sends us. Some of you, if, you, if, you're, if you're a student of Scripture, you may be familiar with Matthew 28 and the Great Commissioning. That is a, that's phenomenal Scripture. Love it. My favorite commissioning in all of Scripture is found in John 20, 21. When Zach said, Terry, you get to, you get to, we're, we're giving you John 20, 21, I was like, boom, that's, that's my jam. Like, I love me some John 20, 21. Just as the Father has sent me, I send you. Look at, let's think about that picture. Jesus has given us permission. He's, he's allowed us to participate in the very mission that God the Father sent Jesus on. Think about that for a minute. Your job as a teacher, an engineer, a student, whatever it is that you clock in your nine to five or wherever time you go to work, your purpose ascends higher than that. That our purpose is we get to participate in the mission of God. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so as Jesus sends us, and if we look at the whole of Scripture, we see from the Old Testament to the New Testament and everything in between, we see this sending language of God sending his people, sending Moses and Joseph and the prophets. And we see him sending Jesus and Jesus sending the disciples and the disciples sending new disciples and new disciples and, and, and generation after generation of sending, we find ourselves here today. And the same mission that Jesus commissioned his disciples with, we are commissioned as well. Just as the Father has sent me, I now send you. And he gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says, receive the Holy Spirit because you are empowered. There is power in this room this morning. You are empowered to live as God's missionaries in your everyday life. That you get to wake up and you get to affect change in God's kingdom. You get to reveal the rule and reign of Jesus by the way you bless people. When you share your table and break bread with them. When you listen to their story. When you learn uh, uh, ways to, to, to reciprocate and tell your story and bless them. We get to live into this participation. We get to participate with Jesus. Let me close with this. Mission is not conversion. And some of you may have some experience with that. If you've ever been hurt by the church. Where you feel, man, I'm just, I just, sometimes I just feel like a number. Like, what, okay, what's, what are the four check boxes you need me to check so I can be good? That is not what mission is. Mission is not recruitment. And I think sometimes we get that, I think, in our, in our, in our earnestness, in our, in our eagerness to participate, participate with God, I think sometimes we feel like we have to, we have to go get some decisions or we have, to, we, we, we have to do a certain thing in a certain way. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that is not what mission is. I love this quote from David Bosch. He is a South African missiologist. He says, mission is more and different from recruitment to our brand of religion. 
mission is more and different from the recruitment to our brand of religion. But it is the alerting people to the universal reign of God through Christ Jesus. Mission is not recruiting people to our brand of religion. But rather, mission is the alerting people to the rule and reign of our Savior, Christ Jesus. When we alert people, when we point out God's glory, that's mission. God does everything else. And God will use us with our words, and we have to use words, but he'll use us with our actions and our deeds. This morning, know that God's peace rests on you. As the Spirit fills this place and fills you, God's peace descends on you. And know that you are empowered and commissioned to go and be those ambassadors, those missionaries, the people of God.